It will enable them to trust unto Him in all the difficulties, dangers, and hazards of this life. To pretend to trust in God as unto our souls and invisible things, and not resign our temporal concerns with patience and quietness unto His disposal, is a vain pretense. And we may take hence an imminent trial of our faith. Too many deceive themselves with a presumption of faith in the promises of God as unto things future and eternal. They suppose that they do so believe as that they shall be eternally saved. But if they are brought into any trial as unto things temporal, wherein they are concerned, they know not what belongs unto the life of faith, nor how to trust God in a due manner. It was not so with Abraham. His faith acted itself uniformly with the respect to the providences as well as the promises of God. End of quote. Abraham's dwelling in tents also denoted the disposition of his heart. A life of faith is one which has respect unto things spiritual and eternal, and therefore... One of its fruits is to be contented with a very small portion of earthly things. Faith not only begets a confidence and joy in the things promised, but it also works a composure of spirit and submission to the Lord's will. A little would serve Abraham on earth because he expected so much in heaven. Nothing is more calculated to deliver the heart from covetousness from lusting after the perishing things of time and sense, from envying the poor rich, than to heed that exhortation, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Colossians 3 verse 2 But it is one thing to quote that verse, and another to put it into practice. If we are the children of Abraham, we must emulate the example of Abraham. Are our carnal affections mortified? Can we submit to a pilgrim's fare without murmuring? Are we enduring hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ? Second Timothy 2 verse 3 The tent life of the patriarchs demonstrated their pilgrim character. It made manifest their contentment to live upon the surface of the earth, for a tent has no foundation and can be pitched or struck at short notice. They were sojourners here and just passing through this wilderness scene without striking their roots into it. Their tent life spoke of their separation from the world's allurements, politics, friendships, religion. It is deeply significant to note that when reference is made to Abraham's tent, there is mention also of his altar and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. Genesis 12, verse 8. And he went on his journeys, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, unto the place of the altar. Genesis 13, 3 and 4. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. 
13 verse 18. Observe carefully the order in each of these passages. There must be a heart separation from the world before a thrice holy God can be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. The Greek here is more expressive than our translation, intense dwelling. The Holy Spirit emphasized first, not the act of dwelling, but the fact that this dwelling was intense. The mention of Isaac and Jacob in this verse is for the purpose of calling our attention unto the further fact that Abraham continued thus for the space of almost a century, Jacob not being born until he had sojourned in Canaan for eighty-five years. Herein we are taught that, as John Owen said, when we are once engaged and have given up ourselves to God in a way of believing, there must be no choice, no dividing or halting, no halving, but we must follow Him fully, wholly, living by faith in all things. End quote and that unto the very end of our earthly course. There does not seem to be anything requiring us to believe that Isaac and Jacob shed Abraham's tent. Rather is the thought that they also lived the same pilgrim's life in Canaan, as Abraham was a sojourner in that land, without any possession there, so were they. The with may be extended to cover all that is said in the previous part of the verse, indicating it was by faith that both Abraham's son and grandson followed the example set them. The words which follow confirm this. They were the heirs with him of the same promise. That is indeed a striking expression, for ordinarily sons are merely heirs and not joint heirs with their parents. This is to show us that Isaac was not indebted to Abraham for the promise, nor Jacob to Isaac, each receiving the same promise direct from God. This is clear from a comparison of Genesis 13, verse 15, and 17, verse 8, with chapter 26, verse 3, and 28, verse 13, also 35, 12. It also tells us that if we are to have an interest in the blessings of Abraham, we must walk in the steps of his faith. Very blessed and yet very searching is the principle exemplified in the last clause of Hebrews 11.9. God's saints are all of the same spiritual disposition. They are members of the same family, united to the same Christ indwelt by the same Spirit. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Acts 4, verse 32. They are governed by the same laws. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Hebrews 8, verse 10. They all have one aim, to please God and glorify Him on earth. They are called to the same privileges, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, and so forth. Second Peter 1, verse 1. 
For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11.10 Ah, here is the explanation of what has been before us in the previous verse, as the opening four intimates. Abraham was walking by faith and not by sight, and therefore his heart was set upon things above and not upon things below. It is the exercise of faith and hope unto heavenly objects which makes us carry ourselves with a loose heart toward worldly comforts. Abraham realized that his portion and possession was not on earth, but in heaven. It was this which made him content to dwell in tents. He did not build a city as Cain did, Genesis 4.17, but looked for one of which God himself is the maker. What an illustration and exemplification was this of the opening verse of our chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That for which Abraham looked was heaven itself, here likened unto a city with foundations in manifest antitheses from the tents which have no foundations. Various figures are used to express the saint's everlasting portion. It is called an inheritance, 1 Peter 1, verse 4, to signify the freeness of its tenor. It is denominated many mansions in the Father's house. It is styled an heavenly country, Hebrews 11:16, to signify its spaciousness. There are various resemblances between heaven and a city. A city is a civil society that is under government. So in heaven there is a society of angels and saints ruled by God. Hebrews 12, 22-24 In Bible days, a city was a place of safety, being surrounded by strong and high walls. So in heaven... We shall be eternally secure from sin and Satan, death and every enemy. A city is well stocked with provisions, so in heaven nothing will be lacking which is good and blessed. The foundations of the heavenly city are the eternal decree and love of God, the unalterable covenant of grace. Christ Jesus, the rock of ages, on which it stands firm and immovable. It is the power of faith which is active and operative that will sustain the heart under hardships and sufferings as nothing else will. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians 4 verses 16 to 18 As John Owen well said, this is a full description of Abraham's faith in the operation and effect here ascribed to it by the Apostle. And herein it is 
exemplary and encouraging to all believers under their present trials and sufferings. Unquote. Ah, my brethren and sisters, do we not see from that which has been before us why the attractions of the world or the depressing effects of suffering have such a power upon us? Is it not because we are negligent in the stirring up of our faith that they hold of the hope which is set before us? If we meditated more frequently upon the glory and bliss of heaven and were favored with foretaste of it in our souls, would we not sigh after it more ardently and press forward unto it more earnestly? Abraham rejoiced to see Christ's day and he saw it and was glad. John 8.56 And if we had more serious and spiritual thoughts of the day to come, we would not be so sad as we often are. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. First John 3, verse 3 For it lifts the heart above the scene and carries us in spirit within the veil. The more our hearts are attracted to heaven, the less will the poor things of this world appeal to us. Chapter 7 The Faith of Sarah Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12 In the verses which are now to be before us, the Apostle calls attention to the marvelous power of a God-given faith to exercise itself in the presence of most discouraging circumstances. Persevere in the face of the most formidable obstacles and trust God to do that which under human reason seems utterly impossible. They show us that this faith was exercised by a frail and aged woman who at first was hindered and opposed by the workings of unbelief, but who in the end relied upon the veracity of God and rested upon His promise. They show what an intensely practical thing faith is, that it not only lifts up the soul to heaven, but is able to draw down strength for the body on earth. They demonstrate what great endings sometimes issue from small beginnings and that like a stone thrown into a lake produces ever-enlarging circles on the rippling waters. So faith issues in fruit which increases from generation to generation. The more the eleventh verse of our present chapter be pondered, the more evident will it appear the faith there spoken of is of a radically different order from that mental and theoretical faith of cozy-chaired dreamers. The faith of the vast majority of professing Christians is as different from that described in Hebrews 11 as darkness is from light. The one ends in talk, the other was expressed in deeds. The one breaks down when put to the test, the other survived every trial to which it was exposed. The one is inoperative and ineffectual, the other was active and powerful. The one is unproductive, the other issued into fruits to the glory of God. Ah, is it not evident that 
the great difference between them is that one is merely human, the other divine, one merely natural, the other altogether supernatural. This it is which our hearts and consciences need to lay hold of and turn into earnest prayer. That which has just been pointed out ought to deeply exercise both writer and reader. It ought to search us through and through, causing us to seriously and diligently weigh the character of our faith. It is of little use to be entertained by interesting articles unless they lead to careful self-examination. It is of little profit to be made to wonder at the achievements of the faith of those Old Testament saints unless we are shamed by them and made to cry mightily unto God for Him to work in us a like precious faith. Unless our faith issues in works which mere nature cannot produce, unless it is enabling us to overcome the world, first John 5.4, and triumph over the lust of the flesh, then we have grave cause to fear that our faith is not the faith of God's elect. Titus 1 verse 1, cry with David, examine me, O Lord, and prove me, try my reins and my heart. Psalm 26 verse 2. It is not that any Christian lives a life of perfect faith, only the Lord Jesus ever did that. No, for in the first place, like all the other spiritual graces, it is subject to growth. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, and full maturity is not reached in this life. In the second place, faith is not always an exercise, nor can we command its activities. He who bestowed it must also renew it. In the third place, the faith of every saint falters at times. It did in Abraham, in Moses, in Elijah. In the Apostles, the flesh is still in us, and therefore the reasonings of unbelief are ever ready, unless divine grace subdue them, to oppose the actings of faith. We are not then urging the reader to search in himself for a faith that is perfect, either in its growth, its constancy, or its achievements. Rather, are we to seek divine aid and Make sure whether we have any faith which is superior to what has been acquired through religious education, whether we have a faith which, despite the strugglings of unbelief, does trust the living God, whether we have a faith which produces any fruit which manifestly issues from a spiritual root. Having spoken of Abraham's faith, the Apostle now makes mention of Sarah's. Thomas Manton tells us, Observe what a blessing it is when a husband and wife are both partners of faith, when both in the same yoke draw one way. Abraham is the father of the faithful, and Sarah is recommended among believers as having a fellowship in the same promises and in the same troubles and trials. So it is said of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. 
Luke 1 verse 6. It is a mighty encouragement when the constant companion of our lives is also a fellow in the same faith. They should direct us in the matter of choice. She cannot be a meet help that goeth the contrary way in religion. Religion decayeth in families by nothing so much as by want of care in matches. End of quote. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Hebrews 11 verse 11 There are five things upon which our attention needs to be focused. First, the impediments of her faith. These were her barrenness, old age, and unbelief. Second, the effect of her faith. She received strength to conceive. Third, the constancy of her faith. She trusted God unto an actual deliverance or birth of the child. Fourth, the foundation of her faith. She rested upon the veracity of the divine promiser. Fifth, the fruit of her faith the numerous posterity which issued from her son Isaac. Let us consider each of these separately. Through faith, also Sarah herself. The Greek word is just the same here as in all the other verses and should have been rendered uniformly by faith and so forth. The word also seems to be added for a double purpose. First, to counteract and correct any error which might suppose that women are debarred the blessings and privileges of grace. It is true that in the official sphere, God has prohibited them from occupying the place of rule or usurping authority over the men, so that they are commanded to be silent in the churches. 1 Corinthians 14.34 are not permitted to teach, 1 Timothy 2.12, and are bidden to be in subjection to their husbands, Ephesians 5.22. But in the spiritual sphere, all inequalities disappear, for there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. And therefore, the believing husband and the believing wife are heirs together of the grace of life. In the second place, this added also informs us that though a woman, Sarah exercised the same faith as had Abraham. She had left Chaldea when he did, accompanied him to Canaan, dwelt with him in tents, Not only so, but she personally acted faith upon the living God. Necessarily so, for she was equally concerned in the divine revelation with Abraham and was as much a party to the great difficulties of its accomplishment. The blessings of the promised seed was assigned to and appropriated by her as much as to and by him. And therefore, is she proposed unto the church as an example 
verses 5 and 6. John Owen stated, As Abraham was the father of the faithful or of the church, so she was the mother of it, so as that the distinct mention of her faith was necessary. She was the free woman from whence the church sprang, Galatians 4, 22 and 23, and all believing women are her daughters, 1 Peter 3, verse 6, unquote. By faith also Sarah herself received strength. The word herself is emphatic. It was not her husband only, by whose faith she might receive the blessing, but by her own faith that she received strength, and this notwithstanding the very real and formidable obstacles which stood in the way of her exercising it. These, as we have pointed out, were three in number. First, she had not borne any children during the customary years of pregnancy. As Genesis 11.30 informs us, Sarai was barren. Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. Genesis 16.1 Second, she was long past the age of childbearing, for she was now ninety years old. Genesis 17, verse 17. Third, workings of unbelief interposed, persuading her that it was altogether against nature and reason for a woman under such circumstances to give birth unto a child. This comes out in Genesis 18. There we read of three men appearing unto Abraham, one of whom was the Lord in theophanic manifestation. Unto him he said, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Upon hearing this, Sarah laughed within herself. Sarah's laughter was that of doubting and distrust, for she said, I am waxed old. At once the Lord rebukes her unbelief, asking, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. Solomon indeed is the sequel. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Genesis 18.15 It is always a shame to do amiss, but a greater shame to deny it. It was a sin to give way to unbelief, but it was adding iniquity unto iniquity to cover it with a lie. But we deceive ourselves if we think to impose upon God, for nothing can be concealed from His all-seeing eye. By comparing Hebrews 11 verse 11 with what is recorded in Genesis 18, we learn that after the Lord had reproved Sarah's unbelief, and she began to realize that the promise came from God, her faith was called into exercise because her laughter came from weakness and not from scorn. God smote her not as he did Zacharias for his unbelief. Luke 1 verse 20 Varied are the lessons which may be learned from this incident. Many times the word does not take effect immediately. It did not in Sarah's case, though afterward she believed. At first she laughed. 
It was only when the divine promise was repeated that her faith began to act. Let preachers and Christian parents who are discouraged by lack of success lay this to heart. Again, see here that before faith is established, often there is a conflict. Shall I have a child who am old? Reason opposed to the promise. Just as when a fire is kindled, the smoke is seen before the flame, so ere the heart rests upon the word, there is generally doubting and fear. Once more, observe how graciously God hides the defects of his children. Nothing is said of Rahab's lie, Hebrews 11.31, of Job's impatience, James 5.11, nor here of Sarah's laughing, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Let us next consider what is here ascribed unto the faith of Sarah. She received strength to conceive seed. She obtained that which previously was not in her. There was now a restoration of her nature to perform its normal functions. Her dead womb was supernaturally vivified. In response to her faith, the Omnipotent One did for Sarah what he had done to Abraham in response to his trusting of him. I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. Romans 4.17 All things are possible with God? Yes. And it is also true that all things are possible to him that believeth. Mark 9.23 How blessedly and strikingly does the incident now before us illustrate this. Oh, that it may speak unto each of our hearts and cause us to long after and pray for an increase of our faith. What is more glorifying to God than a confident looking unto him to work in and through us that which mere nature cannot produce. By faith also Sarah herself receives strength. Christian reader, this is recorded both for thine instruction and encouragement. Faith worked a vigor in Sarah's body where it was not before. Is it not written, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength? Isaiah 40, verse 31. Do we really believe this? Do we act as though we did? The writer can bear witness to the veracity of that promise. When he was in Australia, editing this magazine, keeping up with a heavy correspondence and preaching five and six times each week, when it was over one hundred in the shade, Many a time has he dragged his weary body into the pulpit and then looked unto the Lord for a definite reinvigoration of body. Never did he fail us. After speaking for two hours, we generally felt fresher than we did when we arose at the beginning of the day. And why not? Has not God promised to supply all our need? Of how many is it true that Ye have not, because ye in faith 
Ask not. James 4 verse 2. Ah, dear reader, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4 verse 8. Profitable for the body as well as for the soul. While we strongly reprobate much that is now going on under the name of faith healing, yet we have as little patience with the pretended hypersanctity which disdains any looking unto God for the supply of our bodily needs. In this same chapter which we are now commenting upon, we read of others who out of weakness were made strong. Hebrews 11.34 Sad is it to see so many of God's dear children living far beneath their privileges. True, many are under the chastening hand of God, but this should not be so. The cause should be sought, the wrong righted, the sin confessed, restoration both spiritual and temporal diligently sought. We do not wish to convey the impression that the only application unto us of these words, by faith also Sarah herself received strength, has reference to the reviving of the physical body. Not so, though that is undoubtedly the first lesson to be learned. But there is a higher signification too. Many a Christian feels his spiritual weakness that is well. Yet instead of this hindering, it should be stirred to lay hold of the Lord's strength. Isaiah 27.5 In the final analysis, it is nothing but lack of faith which so often allows the flesh to hinder us from bringing forth the gospel fruits of holiness. Despair not of personal frailty, but go forward in the strength of God be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians 6.10 Turn this into believing prayer for divine enablement. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Job 8 verse 7 Does the reader still say, Ah, but such an experience is not for me. Alas, I am so unworthy, so helpless. I feel so lifeless and listless. So was Sarah. Yet by faith she received strength. And dear friend, faith is not occupied with self, but with God. Abraham considered not his own body, Romans 4.19, nor did Sarah. Each of them looked away from self and counted upon God to work a miracle. And God did not fail them. He is pledged to honor those who honor Him, and nothing honors Him more than a trustful expectation. He always responds to faith. There is no reason why you should remain weak and listless. True, without Christ, you can do nothing. But there is an infinite fullness in him, John 1.16, for you to draw from. Then from this day onwards, let your attitude be, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
Philippians 4.13 Apply to him, count upon him, my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 And was delivered of a child. The and here connects what follows with each of the preceding verbs. It was by faith that Sarah received strength. And it was also by faith that she was now delivered of a child. It is the constancy and perseverance of her faith which is here intimated. There was no abortion, no miscarriage. She trusted God right through unto the end. This brings before us a subject upon which very little is written these days, the duty and privilege of Christian women counting upon God for a safe issue in the most trying and critical season in their lives. Faith is to be exercised not only in acts of worship, but in the ordinary offices of our daily affairs. We are to eat and drink in faith, work and sleep in faith, and the Christian wife should be delivered of her child by faith. The danger is great, and if in any extremity there is need of faith, much more so where life itself is involved. Let us seek to condense from the helpful comments of the Puritan Manton. First, we must be sensible what need we have to exercise faith in this case, that we may not run upon danger blindfolded, and if we escape, then to think our deliverance a mere chance. Rachel died in this case, so also did the wife of Phineas. 1 Samuel 4, 19 and 20 A great hazard is run, and therefore you must be sensible of it. The more difficulty and danger be apprehended, the better the opportunity for the exercise of faith. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. Second Corinthians 1, verse 9. Second, because the sorrows of travail are a monument of God's displeasure against sin. Genesis 3:16. Therefore, this must put you the more earnestly to seek an interest in Christ, that you may have remedy against sin. Third, meditate upon the promise of 1 Timothy 2.15, which is made good eternally or temporally, as God sees fit. Fourth, the faith you exercise must be the glorifying of His power and submitting to His will. This expresses the kind of faith which is proper to all temporal mercies. Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst save me. It is sufficient to ease the heart of a great deal of trouble and perplexing fear. And was delivered of a child. As we have pointed out, this clause is added to show the continuance of Sarah's faith and the blessing of God upon her. True faith not only appropriates his promise, but continuous resting on the same till that which is believed be actually accomplished. 
The principle of this is enunciated in Hebrews 3.14 and 10.36. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Cast not away therefore your confidence. It is at this point so many fail. They endeavored to lay hold of a divine promise, but in the interval of testing, let it go. This is why Christ said, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this, and so forth. Matthew 21, verse 21, Doubt not, not only at the moment of pleading the promise, but during the time you are awaiting its fulfillment. Hence also, Unto trust in the Lord with all thine heart is added, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Proverbs 3 verse 5 When she was past age, this clause is added so as to heighten the miracle which God so graciously wrought in response to Sarah's faith. It magnifies the glory of His power. It is recorded for our encouragement. It shows us that no difficulty or hindrance should cause a disbelief of the promise. God is not tied down to the order of nature, nor limited by any secondary causes. He will turn nature upside down rather than not to be as good as His word. He has brought water out of a rock, made iron to float, Second Kings 6 verse 6 sustained two million people in a howling wilderness. These things should arouse the Christian to wait upon God with full confidence in the face of the utmost emergency. Yea, the greater the impediments which confront us, faith should be increased. The trustful heart says, Here is a fit occasion for faith. Now that all creatures' streams have run dry is a grand opportunity for counting on God to show Himself strong on my behalf. What cannot He do? He made a woman of ninety to bear a child, a thing quite contrary to nature, so I may surely expect Him to work wonders for me too. Because she judged Him faithful who had promised, here is the secret of the whole thing. Here was the ground of Sarah's confidence, the foundation on which faith rested. She did not look at God's promises through the mist of interposing obstacles, but she viewed the difficulties and hindrances through the clear light of God's promises. The act which is here ascribed unto Sarah is that she judged or reckoned, reputed and esteemed God to be faithful. She was assured that he would make good his word on which he had caused her to hope. God had spoken, Sarah had heard, in spite of all that seemed to make it impossible that the promise should be fulfilled in her case. She steadfastly believed Rightly did Luther say, If you would trust God, you must learn to crucify the question, How? Unquote. Faithful is he that calleth you, 
who also will do it. First Thessalonians 5.24 This is sufficient for the heart to rest upon. Faith will cheerfully leave it with omniscience as to how the promise will be made good to us because she judged him faithful who had promised. Let it carefully be noted that Sarah's faith went beyond the promise. While her mind dwelt upon the thing promised, it seemed unto her altogether incredible. But when she took her thoughts off all secondary causes and fixed them on God himself, then the difficulties no longer disturbed her. Her heart was at rest in God. She knew that God could be depended upon. He is faithful, able, willing, sure to perform His word. Sarah looked beyond the promise to the promiser. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.